Welcome to the Creative Plan Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to Creative Plane Podcast Network. This is Jim, and I've got a guest for the show, Ed from Shades of Vengeance. Hi everybody. Hello, hello Jim. Hey Ed, so you've got this great game from Great Britain called Era the Chosen. It's just hit Kickstarter. It's already hit its goal with still... I'd say about 20 days left to go. So, for those at home that don't know about Era the Chosen, a horror RPG, give us the skinny on it. Okay, so first I should say it is called Era the Chosen, and that's really, really important for certain reasons. I have actually created a number of games, and, and the ones which are all in the same universe have Era on the front. So, surprising as that might sound, Era the Consortium, Era Liars, you know sci-fi, fantasy, superheroes, they're all actually in the same universe. I've not revealed how exactly they're linked yet, but there are clues in many of the books. So Era the Chosen is a horror role-playing game, and um, I have been trying to find a way to bring certain elements into the Era games. Now, I should also say that the Era games are... They all run on the same rule set, the Era D10 rule set, and uh, the rule set is modular. So what happens is certain modules are inserted to make sure the game's flavor is correct for the setting that you're playing. So this is a horror setting. It does have one module that it shares with a couple of other games, but terror and trophies are unique rules to this. But if you wanted, for example, to bring in, um, say, a limited durability of your items or limited ammunition, things like that, you can actually bring them in from other games. So all of these games kind of network quite nicely in the rules sense. So Era the Chosen is based around the idea that we... You know those times when you have a, a crawling feeling, a sensation on the back of your neck? You know, that, that feeling that you're being followed, mm. that there are eyes in the dark, you know, watching, waiting. And in that moment when you're feeling it, you know that there's a clawed hand reaching towards the back of your head. And then, you know, as adults, we, we laugh and pass it off as imagination, or we whirl around and there's nothing there. And we go on with our lives. But what if there really was something there and you just couldn't see it? And that's what Era of the Chosen is really about. So in Era of the Chosen, um, our world is under siege. Creatures from another universe, which for the most part can't be seen by humans, and I'll come to that in a minute, a few can but I'll explain that a little more shortly. Um, they are attempting to escape their dying dark dimension into ours so that they can survive as their, as their universe collapses. They can't quite get into our universe yet, but there's sort of a bridge dimension between the two of us. Uh, it's, it's known as the Lost Lands, and humans and Ananasi, these, these creatures from this other universe, can both exist within it. And the idea behind all of this is that when you play this game, you're some of the few humans who can see them, the, the Chosen, who mostly belong to one of five families that live in Harbour City. The game follows sort of the story of the war. So when, when humans first realise, it's kind of the Renaissance times, and uh, humans begin to fight back. Technology progresses over time, and uh, you get to play in the Industrial Revolution kind of era. And then finally, you get to play in the modern era. And depending on which era you play in, you can have a very, very different kind of experience. So, you know, in the in the Renaissance era, you know, it would probably be looked 
upon as demons or, or magic and monsters. Um, whereas in the Industrial Revolution era, people are beginning to understand that, you know, maybe these are, you know, creatures from another dimension, another universe. As they begin to understand that, you know, electricity doesn't work within the Lost Lands. So what does that actually mean in terms of what kind of phenomenon it is? And then as time goes on, you're in the modern era, you know, technology is advanced, you know, you've got modern kind of weapons and the Ananasi are all biological. So as time goes on, they also evolve, you know, over a very, very concentrated period of time. And they start deploying new creatures, new weapons, which are sort of they, they mostly focus on sort of biological style weapons, you know, big, big monsters or, or swarms of insects that can eat flesh mm-hmm. or will eat flesh, I should say. Um, so depending on the era you choose, you can actually have a very, very different experience of the game. That's really what it's all about. It, it spans, you know, this this hundred years uh, technology is accelerated for various reasons that are explained in the game world. Uh, and we actually make that transition from Renaissance to Industrial Revolution to modern very, very quickly relative to how well we obviously have in history. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, that's um, that's pretty much what it's what it's all about. I know a lot of our uh, steampunk group are going to want to play the industrial era because that's going to be one that they uh, bond with the most. Yeah, and, and the thing about uh, the industrial era is there's a lot of opportunity for the sort of mad science. There's a lot of chance to sort of go, okay, well, there's technology lying around in the Lost Lands. We can pick it up and we can maybe activate it, but we don't understand mm-hmm. it. So, you know, you then end up with the opportunity for that steampunk feel, if that's the way you want to go with your game. You know, that technology is more advanced than it ought to be in the Victorian era. Or maybe, you know, a small group of people discover a way to do something. Uh, that, that in theory they shouldn't be able to. I could see a storyline now where Jack the Ripper was actually an Anasazi. Uh, Ananasi? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's that's definitely a possibility. And that's why no one could catch him, because no one no one knew that he was actually an alien creature who wasn't in our universe for most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I actually, I've had ideas along similar lines for a while of, um, imagine if you are in this universe and you're actually playing as a human who is not chosen. Oh. So... You know, you're investigating disappearances, you know, say you're a gumshoe, mm-hmm. right? And you're investigating disappearances all over the place. And and what's going on? Because, you know, people are disappearing or being slashed up and left on the streets. And and then what happens when you find out, you know, that that one family within your city is constantly covering this up and trying to hide it? You know, what, what's your reaction to this? Well, probably that family's guilty because Occam's Razor says, you know, the most obvious solution is more often than not the correct one so yeah it's um it's it's got a lot of scope a lot of opportunity to do many many different things and i think that's cool yeah i could definitely see a sherlock holmes who's not chosen being a foil for the gm against your players (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah you know uh oh why why are you covering up on this i think i need to investigate you more closely Mm -hmm. how come you're there every time we find a body hmm yeah it's very suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> That's the type of material every GM loves with their players. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm. I mean, I'm actually a perpetual GM, so um, yeah, I, I can definitely assure you, every GM loves to frustrate and annoy their their players in those sense when they think they've got away with everything scot free, and then suddenly realise, oh yeah, by the way, by the way, there's someone out there watching you. <laughs> By the way, i got to give you compliments on the video for how to fill out the character sheet. That was a well-done video. Oh, thank you. I'm never 100% sure on that stuff, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of explain it the way I would explain it to a player. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of got used to that. Sort of, I've sort of got used to doing that. So my hope is that, yeah, they come out okay, they come out informative and understandable. Mm-hmm. And that makes life a lot easier when it comes to character sheets and seeing the, the breakdown of the, hey, here's how you play it from a nice first person, you know, like if you're sitting at the gaming table, breakdown of here's how you do it. Super simple, super easy, follow these steps. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and you were talking about the production values, and, and I really can't take a lot of credit for that because Martin, uh, Martin Popovsky, who, who's my video editor, he is an incredibly talented individual who, who works with me just because he likes doing gaming videos and he likes the stuff that I make. And, you know, this, the Ananasi at the start of the video was his idea. Mm-hmm. He, he, he cool. went, okay, I want to do something really, really special for this. How about we do a 3D model of an Ananasi and, and like, the logo appears 
in his hand, uh, and then it, and then it vanishes, and his eyes flash up, and I'm like, oh my god, that's amazing. I mean, that's, <laughs> as as the wife said when I showed her that that little intro, she's like, that's a smexy intro right there, because you got that cool, the music, the throbbing lights, the fingers come out, and era, the chosen, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're you're never gonna forget that, are you? No, nope. like it's uh, <laughs> and and he's just done a fantastic job, and it it just. It just sells what the game is right away. You know, it, it, like, it's, okay, if you like this kind of thing, mm-hmm. you will like this game. You know, and it's instant. Yeah, it's, and, it's, a, it's a great pull-in. Uh, that's his talent. He Well, and, and not only that, if you don't like the game, if you're not going to like the game, it's instant. Right? Mm-hmm. You know immediately, okay, this game is probably not right for me. Which, you know? that's good, too. It's, it's you're that's putting it too. out there right from the beginning. Exactly. I mean, I don't. I don't want to waste anyone's time. If someone is not interested in my game, then I will, you know, say that's absolutely fine. I completely understand. I hope you find something else that you are interested in. Because at the end of the day, not every game is going to suit every person, right? True. So I did notice that the timeline is June the twentieth, nineteen for the book. So that's that's a pretty quick timeline. So so do you have a lot of the book completed already? Yeah, actually, a lot of the book is completed, and if I'm totally honest, I would expect to beat June 2019 as of this stage. Oh, that's awesome. I should actually say, uh, in real life, I'm a project manager uh, for software development, so I've got a lot of experience in managing, you know, sort of large groups of people, I, and I get to apply that experience to what is, okay, a smaller group of people, but, you know, situations that definitely need just as much management. I am actually, at this stage, um, I've got all of the book written in first draft form, it needs a full-on edit from me, and uh, and then it just needs to go off to proofreading. All of the artwork is actually completed, so that's you know that's all done. That's easy, and we're we're really quite close to to finishing off the book. So you know this is really for the proofreading, for the layout, uh, for the printing, and to make sure that everything gets finished off to uh, a nice high quality. Very nice. And speaking of the artwork, the artwork is gorgeous in the book. Yeah, um, Mikhail uh, has worked with me on another project, uh, Era Survival. And uh, I knew instantly that he was the one that I wanted to to do the artwork for this because um, he's got that kind of slightly hazy, fuzzy style that that really conveys this this sort of horror feel, you know. That 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 just I I even look at it and I just feel like it's slightly creepy. And then when you bring the creatures in and you know his his method of doing the creatures really really works very very well. Um, and it, it comes out looking. Very interesting and very very striking. Yeah, it's a beautiful painted style, like uh, the the Renaissance picture with the whole apocalyptic wasteland with with the I'm assuming Japanese warrior in the in the foreground. Uh, yes, that's uh, a member of the Nakamura clan. And uh, actually, if you could see the rest of that image, there are actually a whole bunch of people below on the bottom left uh, who are holding pikes and facing down this this charging Ananasi force from the right. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's sort of one of the major battles when they didn't have very much in the way of weapons. That's when you do with what you got. Indeed, indeed. And and if you're protecting your home, mm-hmm. you know you're you're gonna you're gonna be there and you're gonna you're gonna be fighting as hard as you can. Hey, you gotta protect what's yours. Yeah. Um. Actually, now's a really great time for me to mention that um we actually were doing audio stories. So uh, Leo Kosh, who is uh, a longtime friend of Shades of Vengeance. And actually, he's he's the head of our sound wing. He's a very talented voice actor, and he's actually doing uh, readings of stories, uh, including voices for characters for Era of the Chosen. Um, there's already one up on the on the Kickstarter already, and um, I've actually just added the second in an update, and I'm going to add it to the Kickstarter uh, before too much longer. So by the time uh, anyone hears this, you know, obviously this is time of recording. By the time anyone hears this, you know, there'll be there'll be more up on the Kickstarter. And um, there's uh, if you just look for uh, if you do a control F for audio stories, then you'll find it. He's been doing these stories and, and we've got one which is actually coming up, which is from the perspective of a pikeman in that in that kind of battle. Nice. You know, which, which is which is a fascinating little exercise in in how, you know, how it feels to be in there. Now, um, again, this is a great time for me to mention um, Jennifer Martin and Darren Pierce and J.A. Cummings, who um, the the four of us together wrote all of the stories in the book. But between us, you know, we split it out between us. J.A. Cummings uh, worked with me. I had the initial idea and then she worked with me because she's got a little more expertise in the history than I do. 
so she worked with me to uh, finish the creation of, of of the kind of the setting to make sure that it felt right for those eras mm-hmm. uh, and contributed a number of stories. And then uh, Jennifer Martin, who worked with me on era survival, contributed a lot more of the stories. Uh, she's also worked with me on uh, on Era of the Consortium and Era of the Empowered. Uh, she and I work together very, very well, and we've we've worked on a number of projects together. And then finally, Darren Pierce. Um, he's actually he's recently uh, done some really awesome stuff. Most recently, he's been the lead writer on Judge Dredd in the Worlds of 2000 AD. Oh wow! Um, but he and I actually worked together on this um, as our first project working together. And uh, and then he actually went away and worked on Era of the Chosen as well. He submitted some stories for that. Yeah, he, he's he's a good writer, and it's really, really nice to work with him. Um, Jennifer really captures the horror feel very, very well, and, and she's particularly expert at that, although I wouldn't like to pigeonhole her. She's very good at other things as well. And with uh, the help of J.A. Cummings, we were able to, you know, really really create something that, that draws you into this universe, this this terrifying war with the Ananasi, you know, mm-hmm. from from the moment when people realize that the reason people are being abducted is actually, you know, they're not just going missing or, or being killed by humans. They're actually being taken by demons to another universe all the way through to, you know, OK, so we've almost managed to drive them out of the lost lands now, you know, at the end of the modern era. Mm-hmm. What what what's next? You know, how do we stop them coming back again without constant vigilance? So, yeah, I'm definitely interested in the connection now between, you know, that and survival to see if maybe uh, maybe now we know what the plague is about. Uh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, it's, it's definitely the case that um, Era Survival and Era The Chosen have two of the strongest indications of what the links are between the various universes. Very nice. Um, there's there's a story which practically tells you the answer if you read Era Survival. Mm. Um, you you have to think a bit carefully, but but there is a story that basically tells you the answer. There's an Easter egg in there. Um, so go away and and have a very careful read of Era Survival. Or um, Leo and I are actually working on another another project now. Now that we've finished recording all of the Era of the Chosen stories, and and I'm going to be releasing them during the Kickstarter. But he and I are actually working on an audio book of Era Survival with every single story read by him, voices by him. Um, I'm there directing it and and helping him out and making sure that it sounds right. But um, it's absolutely fantastic. It's coming out really really well. Um, that sounds like an awesome project. Yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. It's great fun, and it's great fun working with people who are so talented. Um, and uh, and he and I are hoping to actually get that out onto Kickstarter not long after Era of the Chosen's Kickstarter run ends. So I'm already looking forward to the next one. Fantastic. <laughs> there's always there's always more to do for me. And Era of the Chosen now, you know, as I said, it needs editing time, mm-hmm. but um, not a lot else. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not actually writing any other games at the moment. Um, Battlecruiser Alamo, which was my previous game, uh, still hasn't been printed, but I've completed the editing and now it's in proofreading. Uh, Era of the Empowered has been fully written and edited and proofread, and I'm just waiting on the last 10 pieces of artwork. Era of the Chosen, obviously it's written, so I'm now spending some time editing it. And the time that I spend with Leo doing audio stuff is sort of separate to that. Um, I'm working on some artwork and some writing and some playtests for uh, for another game that's upcoming. I've announced it already on our on our Facebook and on our blog, uh, Era Lost Legend, mm. um, which is based around uh, sort of it's a um, JRPG inspired game, uh, particularly Final Fantasy, but but JRPGs in general. And uh, yeah, I mean I'm I'm also working on a card game uh, that I'm planning to. Well, I have worked on a card game that I'm planning to release uh, slightly later this year. Um, I, I generally have a lot of plates spinning. Um, we've got uh, we've got three comics, uh, one of which is just about to launch on Kickstarter any day now. Uh, we're very very close to being ready to launch it. Um, so our comics division, uh, SOV Comics, um, is is just finishing off the Kickstarter and getting all the all the rest of the stuff finished so that we can go ahead and launch that. Um, I've got two other comics. These are all based in the era of the Empowered, the superhero universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are underway uh, with various different artists. And, um, yeah, there's there's always a lot going on over here at Shades of Tensions. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, always, we're always trying to do stuff. You guys are being crazy prolific right now. That's awesome. Well, you know, I, I, I looked up one day and I, I actually went over to my bookshelf and counted because I keep a copy of every book that I write. I've actually, I've actually published uh, over 50 books 
in the last four years. Wow. Um, which, which sort of, it was a bit of a shock to me, if I'm honest. I hadn't realized I'd done that many. You know, uh, seven of those are games on their own, standalone games. Uh, many of them are expansions. And then, of course, there are the card games and so on on top of that. So, yeah, um, campaigns and, and expansions that give you new rules, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I, I just, I, I keep making stuff. I keep having new ideas. I keep wanting to make new things. And, you know, um, Era of the Chosen is obviously uh, one of the more recent ones. But we've got a lot more projects on the go as well. So there's there's always going to be a lot to come for us for, 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 a, for a while yet, I think. That's fantastic. So speaking of rules, what is the uh, the actual game system that's, that's used for ERA? So the ERA D10 rule set uh, relies on a multiple D10 dice pool with a varying threshold uh, based on your you know, the difficulty of the action at the GM's discretion. So, for example, um, you might be punching someone. So you might roll a strength and a brawl stat, mm-hmm. and the stats are based around dots that are filled in. So you pick up the number of dice equal to your dots filled in. So you have three strength and four brawl. You'll take seven dice. Um, you might remove the enemy's defense uh, if they see you coming, you know, and they're ready to dodge. So you might remove a defense number. Mm-hmm. Um, say two defense. So you'd end up rolling five dice. And you'd be looking for a seven or better, for example, you know, for an average action. Um, and actually, there's a little bit more about why you might use different numbers uh, in the um, in the actual Kickstarter and also on some of the how-to videos. Um, but, you know, if you were to punch them, uh, you'd then roll a second round. So the successes from those from those sevens, you'd roll those for damage. And uh, one of the things that I've been told is quite innovative about the system is that we have a damage threshold that you have to achieve and then an instant kill threshold for some weapons. So that means that, you know, if you're if you're shooting someone with a gun, you know, your damage threshold might be a four and your kill threshold might be a six, for example. So if you were to roll, you know, three, seven successes, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd then roll those dice again. And if you roll any sixes, your target is dead. Oh, wow. If you roll a four... You know, any fours, mm-hmm. then, you know, four or five, then um, your target takes damage. But your target can then wear armor, which increases those numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So you can armor yourself to the degree where you can't actually be killed instantly by a weapon. Or you can make it a lot less likely at the very least. But armor then has a knock-on effect. Obviously, you have to carry it. Um, it has a dexterity penalty because it slows you down. There, there are various things that are negatives about armor. That definitely sounds like a fun system, especially from the GM's point of view, because then you can, you, when you make your creatures, since they're organic, you know, you can tweak them a little. Yeah, they can have natural armor or, uh, you know, thick thick skin that, that means that bullets don't necessarily kill them instantly. Mm-hmm. Or they could just be massive and, you know, you, you can try and kill them, but in reality you're going to kill their leg or their, you know, or their arm before you actually reach killing them, killing them. So it gives you a lot of flexibility within that you know, that you could sort of have a multi-part creature um, that you then have to defeat piece by piece. I could see that as an awesome, during the adventure, having to do the whole Shadows of Colossus aspect of climbing the creature and slowly taking it down. Yeah, there's actually, in Era Silence, there's actually uh, a a genuine reference to Shadows of the Colossus, um, because I was actually playing it around the time I was writing Era Silence. Um, I was quite late. I was quite late to come across Shadows of the Colossus. It, uh, it, you know, I was, I was just, I was just climbing around on this creature, and I thought, wow, this would fit perfectly in Era Silence. Why don't I make a challenge where people have to actually work together to defeat a creature like this? That that just makes for fun stuff, especially when art inspires art. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm a big fan of, you know, I, I'm a big believer in in. Not being worried about being inspired by other things. You know, if, if, if I see something and I really, really like it, then, you know, I'll, I'll be looking to try and try and get inspired off that. I think that's really important that that's a possibility, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's from a game master point of view. That's one of the biggest, best things about being a game master is you can be, Hey, this doesn't fit our campaign, but this cool thing happened. I'm going to write it down, put it in my notebook and save it for a rainy day. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Find yeah. inspiration wherever you can. Yeah. So in the game we have the clans, and, and you did mention it. And of course, my favorite one is the Garcia. But uh, can, ah, can, right. can yeah. you give a quick brief overview of what the clans are? Yeah. So the clans are a way of making your character unique from your party members. Uh, I mean, you don't have to be one from each clan. 
Um, but the clans give you special abilities that aren't otherwise available to the other characters. So the Doused clan are the salvagers. You know, I mentioned that there's technology uh, strewn around the Lost Lands. There's actually an area where it's particularly sort of uh, concentrated known as the salvage fields. And the Doused were the first to discover the Lost Lands and the first to realize that salvaging the technology from it could actually be A, the key to riches and B, the key to, you know, power. Mm hmm. And they, you know, they began as inventors and, and sort of many of the other clans look down on them because really they're not fighters. They're, they're technologists first and fighters second. Uh, they also see the, the Lost Lands as their own personal gold mine. They don't really think that anyone else has a right to it because they found it first. You know, that's very much their attitude. They planted the flag and it's theirs. Exactly. Um, and it doesn't matter that the Garcia or the Ananasi are there, you know, they they own this place and, and, and no one really has any right to say any different. There's some role playability right there. Oh, yeah. The Garcia clan are, you know, they're, they're a lot more aggressive against the Ananasi. They don't like the Ananasi. They don't like the threat they pose. Mm -hmm. uh, while the Das want to eliminate the Ananasi for easier access to the salvage fields, the Garcia want to eliminate the Ananasi because they want to eliminate the Ananasi. You know, they, they are there to take them out. And as a result, they they saddle up. They, they get some of the most powerful weapons in the game. Rocket launchers. They get the, the Magnus 60, uh, which has a, you know, sort of a three round burst and the ability to fire explosive rounds. Yes. So each of these clans gives you not only sort of you get one item from the clan that you get to choose. And then you also get some specialties that can build on whatever you've chosen. That's cool. Um, so, for example, the Magnus 60 or the rocket launcher would be a choice for the Garcia. And then depending on which you chose, you know, you'd be able to choose the explosive rounds for the Magnus 60, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, the Rostov clan, um, these guys are the ones I mentioned earlier who uh, don't want anyone to find out about the Ananasi. You know, they, they understand that humanity would panic and 99.9% .9 of humanity can't even see the Ananasi. So what are you going to do? I mean, they're just going to panic and it's uncontrollable. It's going to be impossible because the portals open all over the world, mm -hmm. right? That you're not going to stop it just by, you know, going, oh yeah, well, um, leave, leave Harbor City. You can get away. <laughs> so they believe that humanity should be protected from this dangerous knowledge. And uh, they're the ones who cover up any evidence that there is in ether, that's our dimension, um, of the Ananasi's existence. And also, they're tacticians. They're information experts. You know, they, they monitor information. You know, they, they, you know they, they look at situations and find the best tactics to deploy their people. Mm -hmm. And that's very much their attitude. So um, they're actually natives who live in the Lost Lands. And one of the things the Rostovs are trying to do is teach the natives tactics and, and give them weapons so that they can fight the Ananasi themselves. Makes perfect sense. Arm your allies to make sure the bad guys can't get closer. Indeed. Um, and the Rostov are more than willing to sacrifice the natives if that's what it takes. You know, they, they tend to be fairly cold as people go. They've got that tactician's disassociation of, of... Exactly, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone is a pawn, and, you know, you use it as you need to. Mm -hmm. And if that means they die, then I'm very sorry, but they die. It's for the good of everyone. And those three are the first three clans. So in the first era, you could only play as those three clans, because the Nakamura clan and the Chike clan are not present for various reasons I'll go into in a minute. Uh, so, yeah, this is the Renaissance era, and uh, as I said, the Daos discover it first. Uh, the Garcias discover it shortly afterwards, and the Rostovs then discover it within a fair, fairly short period of time as well. Nice. And they all agree to work together, and they they form the first Council of Chosen. Sort of, they they they're fighting and so on, and all this stuff happens. And a little later, in the Industrial Revolution era, um, the Nakamura clan arrive in Harbor City. Now they've actually been fighting demons in inverted commas for many many years. Uh, just in another part of the world. And um, they choose to join the Chosen when they find out what's going on and, you know, that they can actually have allies. Because, uh, as I said, very, very few humans can actually see it, and it's often passed on by bloodline. So, you know, for the Chosen to have another family to, to join them mm -hmm. 
Uh, it is a big deal. And for the Nakamura to have allies in their fight, which they thought they were fighting alone until now, is also a big deal. And the Nakamura, I've got a lovely little quote for the Nakamura on the Kickstarter. It is never wrong to risk your life to save another. So in a lot of ways, they align with the Rostovs. Um, they want to arm the native tribes. They want to teach them how to defend themselves. But, you know, they're, they're more on the honorable, the, you know, the self-sacrificing side. I am, I am here to defend you, mm-hmm. you know, and I will help you defend yourself, but I will be at the front of this battle. I will be making sure that you are as safe as I can make you. You've got that great Paladin Bushido code going. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's very much the Nakamura clan's attitude. And, um, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they, they do use other weapons as well, but obviously they, they favor swords. And they actually have some, um, ancient demon cleavers, which have, uh, you know, passed down their family for generations and have been killing Ananasi for, for a very long time. You have that classic Hattori Hanzo sword made from a, uh, one of their body parts, you know. That's exactly the sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, uh, forged in Ananasi blood. That, that, exactly that kind of thing. Ooh, quenching it in the blood. I could, I could just see it, you know, a great little ancient blacksmith on the mountaintop doing his thing. Oh yeah. And, and they've somehow managed to get this supply of Ananasi blood, you know, into this, into this trough so he can, so he can cool the blade in, in the blood of their enemies. Um, so yeah, that's the Nakamura. Um, you know, they, they have, uh, various abilities that, uh, you know, you might, you might kind of expect from sort of, uh, that kind of trope. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they get ability, major, major bonuses when they're defending other people. Um, and when they're helping people out at the risk of their own lives. They've also got a little bit in terms of the kind of the ninja side, if you like, you know, they've got some distractions, you know, the ability to vanish and, and that kind of stuff it is available to them. So, all of these clans, all of these things are totally optional. You could be a Garcia and have neither a rocket launcher nor a Magnus 60. You, you don't have to take it. Um, but it's an opportunity, as I said, to sort of make your, your character unique. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to the Chike. Now the Chike are the very, very best example of scientific innovation during the, uh, during the Victorian era. Uh, because the Chike were not chosen. Uh, they were not a chosen family. But there is actually an affliction which uh, spreads across Harbour City for the entire, you know, for the entire period of time. It's called Dark Fever. But the Chosen can't get it. The Chosen are immune. Um, and as you might have guessed, it's caused by the Ananasi. No one's 100% sure how, but in trying to cure the dark fever, uh, a particular genius of the Chike clan discovered a way of curing it. And um, that made the Chike family chosen. Hmm. Now, the Rostovs burned down his lab immediately. You know, they tried <laughs> to kill him. You know, they, they don't want this happening. You know, they don't mm-hmm. want more people to know. And, and the idea that... Because this man was obsessed with curing dark fever. Mm-hmm. So the idea that, that like he might go out and give it to everyone in Harbour City mm-hmm. were, you know, was something that drove them to a panic. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he escaped, he survived, and uh, he actually went and hid in the Lost Lands and continued his work. Um, and in the meantime, he had actually exposed all of the Chike clan to this cure. Mm-hmm. So the Chike became chosen. Which he was just looking out for his people and science. Indeed. And then he made an even greater discovery once once being in the Lost Lands, because obviously he was also treated with it. He also became chosen. Um, I should say, if you're not chosen and you enter the Lost Lands, you would see nothing. You'd think you'd gone blind and deaf. Oh, that would suck. Um, you, you can't perceive it if you're not chosen. Mm-hmm. So if an Ananasi were to grab you and drag you back into the Lost Lands, you'd just be incapable of seeing it. You're just in the glowing limbo of nothing. Exactly. Oh. Uh, you'll be able to feel the ground beneath your feet, mm-hmm. but nothing else. You, you'd feel like you'd gone blind and deaf. Leading to the stories of alien abduction in the modern era. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, so, this this guy, um, Lucius Chike, mm-hmm. um, he finished his work, and what he did is he combined Ananasi DNA with the Chike's DNA. 
So now, the members of the Chike clan will mutate when Ananasi get close into a half-human, half-Ananasi form. Ah, so a protective, you know, hybrid form. Yeah, and and there are four different forms that you can choose from for the Chike. So um, you can you can become sort of like the humanoid fallen who gain wings, you know, have the ability to gain wings, and and you know they become stronger, uh, they grow claws, you know, um, they uh, gain a mental strength uh, because the the fallen are telepathic. Oh, okay. So they gain a mental strength. You can uh, gain the the powers of a brute. Uh, they're the really, really big sort of hulking ones. You know, so you'll grow stronger and tougher. Uh, you can gain the powers of a hellhound um, and become stealthy. You know, uh, and be able to conceal yourself better. Or you can uh, you can even gain the powers, but only in the third era. You can gain the powers of an ethereal. Now, ethereals are a mysterious kind of Ananasi. Uh, when a trike becomes part ethereal. Um, they actually partially phase, and bullets will pass through them. Like, you have a 50-50 chance the bullets just pass through you. Oh, wow. Um, so you're completely untouchable. Well, you know, uh, mm-hmm. through those certain pieces. But it moves across you like a cloud. It's not consistent. So, yeah, I mean, the Chike give you, you know, if you choose the Chike clan, you can choose which form that you take. And those those four forms are your possibilities. And as I say, you then get specialties that build on those. So the wings, for example, are a specialty that builds on the fallen form. Okay. So each of those each of those five clans really gives you a sort of a unique opportunity within the game. Yeah, the, each one adds a ton of background story and role playability to that, especially the Chike. I mean, if you want to play the monsters character, boom, there you go. But I mean, then you've got to consider what is other people's reaction to the Chike. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, you're out there killing Ananasi, and if the Chike are half Ananasi, what's going to happen when you kill all the Ananasi? Exactly. What happens then? Yeah, you know, did you then have to do you then have to turn on the person you've been working with? And what's worse is what if uh, an Anasazi, you know, sneaking around, nobody knows you shapeshift in the middle of a crowded area, that could cause a panic. Oh goodness, yes. Uh, that yeah. that could be, you know, more I fun. mean, they don't survive very well in our world, so it doesn't happen very often, but yeah, I mean, that would be a, a hell of a mess for the Rostov to clear up. Mhm. And, you know, when it comes to clearing up information, sometimes making it disappear is easier to make the person disappear than the, the future legwork. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, of course, the, the trike ability serves a, serves a really useful um, indicator when you're in the Lost Lands and you're about to be sneak attacked. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah, that would be a great defense measure of you've got them and they can say... Okay, we're about to be under attack. Yeah, I yeah. sense danger. My spider senses are going off. <laughs> So one thing I noticed for your players is you have the great thing, and it's something I love for all RPGs that have them, the player's guides as one of the options. Yes. So I I find that there are some things the GM doesn't want to show the player, you know? And um, the the player's guide for Era of the Chosen does not include information on the Ananasi. Keeping that secret. You don't know what they can do. Mm-hmm. You can learn what they can do. You know, you, you can you can gradually find that out, but um, you don't know what they can do. And what I what I do for the players' guides is I include all of the rules, mm-hmm. um, so that you know the players and the GM they're looking at exactly the same words, so it's word for word the same. Um, I include uh, character creation in full again for the same reason. I include equipment as much as possible. Usually, a few bits and pieces that are very very rare get lost mm-hmm. out of the players' guide. Because you still got to make the pages balance properly, um, and uh, and and then I include just a briefing on the story, the kind of thing you might know if you were new to the world. You know, if you were new to being a chosen, mm-hmm. what might you know? Okay, well that's all you get, right? So in theory, you could run the game off the player's guide, right? You could expand the setting yourself. You know, you could you could look through the stuff and you could go, okay, well that inspires me to do this. Um, so I'm going to go off and I'm going to go off and do that. And you could absolutely run the game of the player's guide. Obviously, the core rulebook contains a lot more information. It contains all the stuff about the, the various clans, about the Ananasi factions, because they're in factions as well. They aren't all just one thing. So they all have, know. you know, they have multiple different factions with different goals. And it's not divided by biology as well. So you might run into one Ananasi of one type who is, you know, fervently I would almost say 
I would almost say religious. Um, they believe that humanity and, and our universe are a scourge and should not oh. be allowed to exist and that Ananasi should not try and enter it. You know, and they'll be, they'll be, you know, absolutely, um, merciless in their approach to humanity. And you might meet another one who's more used to taking humans prisoner because they're part of a different faction of Ananasi who, you know, take humans prisoner, <laughs> force them to work and then eat them when they've gained enough muscle. So there are there are lots of different options, you know, uh, around the way that things can behave, um, around the backstory. Obviously, um, the the history of the over hundred years of war is not entirely contained within the within the player's guide. But what is contained is a one page summary to get you up to speed with what it's like in that era. That's very cool. So that way it gives you... For each one of the three. You see. So that gives you that nice, good, you know, hey, guys, here's what the story arc is and go crazy. Exactly. So one thing I was going to say is on the, the Era Horror bundle, you've got the Karma cards. What's what's the deal with Karma? Okay, so Karma is a mechanic from Era Survival specifically. Um, I, I combine the two because I think the rules for those two games combine very, very well, very readily. And uh, the Karma cards are a feature of Era Survival. Karma is not alignment. Mm-hmm. It's a great... But it's Era Survival's version of it. So, you know, uh, alignment, obviously, everyone's everyone's pretty familiar with kind of the D&D, oh, well, lawful, you know, lawful to chaotic and, and good to evil. Mm-hmm. Karma only comes in good and bad, but rather than defining how your character behaves towards others and how it goes into a situation, karma is based on how you come out of the situation, what the actual effect of your actions is. So, for example, that means that you could have bad karma, but have never intended to do anything bad. Um, there's actually a main character in, uh, in Era Survival Story who, um, he was always planning to, uh, be what's called a wise one. People who understand the technology from the past. You know, it's post-apocalyptic, so a lot of the knowledge has been lost. But he was, he was training to be a wise one. And he was, uh, he was fixing a helicopter. There are only three in existence. Two of them work and one of them is in pieces. And he was fixing, you know, working on fixing the third with another large team. And he was asked to do something. And in order to try to impress his, you know, his mentor, he rushed. Mm-hmm. And he welded too close to the fuel tank. Ooh. He survived the explosion, but in effect, he sentenced thousands of people to death because the helicopter was destroyed. So he had massive evil karma, despite never meaning any of it. Mm-hmm. So it means that you have this extra nuance. You can be a good character and have evil karma. You can be a good character and have good karma, or an evil character and have evil karma. You can be an evil character and have good karma, because um, you know you're, you look at a building and you know there are people inside, and you figure, ha, 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 I'll collapse the building on them, and, uh, and they'll all die, and then I can loot their bodies. Ha, ha. Evil laugh. Mm-hmm. Um... So you collapse the building and you kind of dig your way in and you find that, that 17 people have survived. And, and as you, as you approach, you know, one of them reaches out towards you, uh, to embrace you and says, you saved our lives. When the building collapsed, you crushed all of the zombies who were going to kill us. <laughs> you know, we were going to be infected. We were, we were, you know, we were going to lose. Um, and you saved our lives by crushing them. You gain good karma because you saved lives. Mm-hmm. So it gives the GM an opportunity to, I wouldn't exactly say mess with players, but to consider the future rather than just today. And what is actually the result of your actions rather than, oh yeah, well, I got rich. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the karma cards, as you get more karma in either direction, you get more karma cards. And there is actually also a reward for neutral as well. So there's good, evil, and obviously neutral in the middle. So you actually do have a concrete reward for being neutral that's that's a different different kind of thing. So in uh, good karma cards, good things happen to good people. Evil karma cards, bad things happen to bad people, but you can usually find an advantage out of it in the end. And that's the way that karma cards work. Which, it, it is a great system, because in survival, I've, I've used the Walking Dead characters to describe how the karma cards work you know for that one of the intention is not result you know and and you can make some great bad guys that are actually really well loved and respected by the people 
Absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, they might be dictatorial mm-hmm. or, or terrifying, but what they're actually doing is keeping hundreds of people safe. Yeah. So, yeah, that have good karma. Yeah, and, and it makes for great character arcs, too. Yeah, it does. And that's that's what it's really all about, isn't it? It's all about making the characters have an arc, have a story, have a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then, you know, something bad happens. Well, everybody hates you because something bad happened and you were in charge, you know. More players need to realize it's okay for your story arc to, to work that way, you know. And then you can have an awesome redemption story. Or you can... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive believer in, in fumbles are some of the most fun things that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's where the story becomes unexpected. You know, it's where it takes a turn that you never could have seen coming. And that's the one thing every GM loves is when the story takes a left turn and you had no clue where it was going. Absolutely. It's it's the thing that makes it fun to do because otherwise you just sat there, you know exactly what's going on all the time, you know exactly what's planned. It's it gets boring. You know? Exactly. You know, after all, Game Masters are there to play too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as a perpetual game master, I fully agree with that statement. You know, that they're, they're there to have fun just as much as the players are. You know? It's it, it should be possible and it is possible. You know, to have just as much fun. And when we did the playtest of the quick start rules for survival, the first time we did it, one of the characters completely changed what they wanted their player to be because, oh, well, I've got karma. I, and they basically changed their character on the fly. They're like, it was going to be this, but she became this character. And it's like, you owned it. You made that part your character. You played your character correctly. You, you felt in your heart of hearts, your character has to go this direction. And that's magic. Yeah, and and I I try to make sure that all mechanics guide you. They don't force you. Mm-hmm. You know, you you and and let's face it, a lot of it's down to interpretation. But all of the mechanics I try to make are are really designed to guide you. And and in the combat mechanics I described earlier, that's something where I think it really comes through that fact. Because um, you know, you narrate your own combat style, right? Um, I was actually doing this earlier in the in the Lost Legend game I was playing. Um, because one of, one of the player characters decided to spar with a, with an NPC. And, um, you know, she, she repeatedly beat him. Uh, like, like, I, I just got incredibly lucky on my dice rolls. And I was sat there just, she was just beating him up. So I was narrating, okay, well, you know, she, uh, you know, she kicks at your knee, elbows you in the back, and then pushes you face down onto the floor. You take three pain damage. Okay, I tip up and I, I come back to try and, try and fight again. Okay, well, uh, and then we roll again. Okay, and this time, you know, she slides out of the way of your punch in a way you wouldn't have believed possible, brings her knee into your gut, and then just pushes you over forwards onto the floor again. You know, and and you take two pain damage this time, and so on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, that's another thing that reinforces the awesome rules, is the fact that players come up with a combination of the skill and the the characteristic, which that can lead for so much fun role-playing when it comes to doing things. Yeah, I mean, um, there's no fixed, you know, there's no fixed relationship between the attribute and the skill. Mm-hmm. So in in this rule set, you know, if charisma and brawl is the thing that makes sense because you know you're trying to seduce the girl by by looking good when you're sparring, you know, then then that might be charisma and brawl because you're caring about how you look rather than you know what you're mm-hmm. doing. Enter cheesy smile and you know you could almost see exactly. one of those movie style fights where the the guy's looking at the, the, the girl and smiling during the fight and doing the whole panache angle, which I yeah. love when players use panache. Yeah, I, I, I agree entirely. It, it was, you know, and, and, and things turned out very well from that, that thing. And, you know, we got to sit there and we got to narrate what our characters were doing. And, you know, it, it is assumed in the OED 10 rule set that anyone who fights, fights to the best of their ability, mm-hmm. right? So if you fire a shot... You know, you can say, OK, well, I'm aiming to sort of just just um, one of my allies is being eaten by a by a worm in Era of the Chosen. Um, you know, I'm going to fire. So the bullet passes just over her, like inches over her face um, and then hits the worm without damaging her. Mm-hmm. OK, well, that's going to be tricky. But yeah, OK, go ahead and take the shot. Bang. OK, that happens. So, yeah, you get to you sort of get to have that moment of, yeah, it, it just passed over her. And she she was kind of looking up and going, ah, the bullets. And, and before she knows what's happened, you know, the, the worms off her feet, you know, stopped eating mm-hmm. her. And she's now covered in goo. Well, probably, yes. There is that. 
That sounds like it's going to be one of those games that people are going to get a ton of great playability out of it. I hope so. You know, I mean, I've I've had a lot of success with Era of the Consortium, Era of Survival, Era of the Empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think there's endless scope. You know, that there, there there's a lot of different things you can do within the game, and that's really one of the things that I try to do when I create games is give people the opportunity to play anything they want to do within this subset of things. And here's a universe that allows that. Mm-hmm. And Era of the Chosen is very much the case again. You know, you can do the, you can do the mystical horror. You can do the, the Doctor Who style horror where, you know, it's horror because you don't understand what's going on. And when you do understand what's going on, it's just kind of disgusting. <laughs> and, and it's not anywhere near as scary anymore, if you know what I mean. Where it has that, that campy almost feel of, Danger is real, but it's not as scary as we thought. It's not Lovecraftian. It's just a different type of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I did mention the Quick Start Guide for Survival. Do you have Quick Starts for the other Eric books? Uh, yes. Um, virtually all of our books have Quick Start Guides. Um, there is one for Era of the Chosen, which is linked on the Kickstarter by a nice big image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are there are quick start guides for most of our books. Um, they're all pay what you want on Drive Through RPG, and uh, most of them I believe are available on our store. I would have to actually double check if all of them are, but I, I think they are. So yeah, if you wanna if you wanna have a look at the games, uh, that's well worth a look. It's also well worth having a look at our YouTube channel because as I mentioned uh, before, you know I ran an Era of the Chosen game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that was recorded. It's, uh, just gone up on our YouTube channel, so it's available there. It's gonna be on the Kickstarter shortly. Um, and I also run a regular, uh, game of Era the Consortium. Every Monday we release a sort of 20 minute, 30 minute episode. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of running a genuine campaign with, with no end in sight. You know, we're, we're just running an ongoing campaign. And I think that's a great showcase of how the game works. And, and it's Era of the Chosen, but they all run on the same rule set. So, you know, it's a, it's a great indicator of how it, what it takes to actually get involved in the game. Because um, one of our players is a, really a newbie to role-playing. One of our players is very, very experienced, and, and the two others are somewhere, somewhere in the middle. So, you know, you, you get the opportunity to see, okay, well, I, you know, I'm very, very experienced. Okay, well, I'd probably experience it like, like this person. Or, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to role playing. I think I'd probably have an approach like mm-hmm. this. And you can begin to understand what it's actually like to play the game rather than just seeing the rules or, or going, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And that's that's why I love real plays is because you actually get to see from the player's point of view of these are the real questions that come up at the game table. These are the moments that happen, you know, so that way you get to feel, okay, at my table, this may or may not come up. And that, you know, and let's be honest, from a game master point of view, you might watch the show, get some great inspiration for your own group, or you may look at something and go, ah, I was doing it slightly different. Sort of like when we do uh, convention games. It's great seeing how different GMs run different types of types of. Yeah, I mean that is always absolutely fascinating to me. I, uh, you know, I, I I go to a lot of conventions, and actually, a lot of the conventions I go to, we actually only run forty-minute games because I do a lot of non non role-playing oh. conventions. And um, what what you do mm-hmm. is you just put together a small scenario that has a little bit of combat, a little bit of moral choice in role playing, and then kind of a, a consequence at the end, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a player choice, if you like. The way that people approach this, and the way that different people approach it, it's not even based on how experienced they are as role players. It's just based on the people that you see playing this. And when you when you run the same session fifty times with 50 different groups of people. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fascinating to see the different things that people come up with. Definitely. I mean, because literally it's 50 different results of, of each game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No two games are exactly alike. That, that's one of the best parts of game mastering, is seeing how different uh, different wheels turn. Yeah. You know, uh, nothing nothing pleases me more than when someone says, can I do this? Because I basically never say no to that question. Mm-hmm. Like, that is very, very rare for me to have to say no to anything. And that's one of the things I like about um, the Era D10 rule set as well. It literally can handle anything. Um, you might have a very, very low chance of success. It might be even almost mm-hmm. impossible. But, you know, you, you can. I never have to say no. And I never want to say no. Yeah, because that hurts players' feelings when you have to say no to something. Unless it's some crazy off-the-wall, hey, you have a 1 in 100 shot, go for it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and 
yeah, you can always say that. You know, this is this is one of the things that makes me like dice pool systems. Mm-hmm. Because if you know, if you're rolling a single dice system, I'm going to pick on on D and D here because I can. <laughs> um, but if you're rolling, you know, if you're rolling a, a, a dice, a single dice, and it's a D twenty, you have a one in twenty chance. Mm-hmm. If you're rolling three dice, and you have to roll a ten on any dice, that's not a one in twenty chance anymore. In fact, it's it's kind of a lot more complicated, mm-hmm. and the player is not just going to register. Oh well, I have a one in twenty chance, then I won't try. It's, I've got They're three go, oh, chances well, to succeed. I have three chances to get a 10. Am I going to manage that? And if I get a 10, then I get to roll another dice. So, you know, I might even get two successes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, am I, am I going to risk that? So, you know, it, it makes it a little more computationally complicated. It li- makes it a little bit... It makes it a normal distribution instead of a flat distribution. A mm-hmm. uh, bell curve, if you like. Yeah. Um, and that means that the better you are at something, the more likely you are to succeed. Mm-hmm. Which is which is how it should be. Which is how it should be. Yeah. But it does it without needing lots and lots of arithmetic and adding modifiers onto your single dice roll and and so on. Because to me, I find that arithmetic breaks my suspension of disbelief. Exactly. If I'm if I'm sat there and expecting to add stuff up, you know, I'm kind of going. Uh, plus two to this, plus two to that, plus two to this. Yeah, I I completely understand you on that one. It's it's. Action requires the energy to keep going, and as soon as you stop to start, you know, power game, metagaming to the the adding up of the of the arithmetic, it just pulls you out of that moment. I agree, uh, and and you know that's one of my major gripes with with multiple detail. Uh, sorry, non multiple systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and equally, I chose D10s. I chose D10s because most people can think, okay, well. That's a really hard thing to do, and I understand the percentages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on any dice you have 70% chance. Okay, I get that. It's harder. Okay, I'll make it a 90 or 80% chance. It gives you that granularity that you wouldn't get with, for example, D6s. Exactly. Um, I, I find uh, Era D10 is perfectly playable with D6s if you want to, but it doesn't have the same granularity. You know, if you say, oh, you've got to get a 5 or better, and then you've got to get a 6 or better, and that's that's it's not different enough to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have that that nice arc curve, and and for a GM from the GM's point of view, it gives you a great way of balancing the difficulties. Yeah, because you know everyone pretty much understands. Oh well, okay, I have a thirty percent chance of succeeding on any dice. Mm-hmm. I'm rolling five dice, so I'm probably going to get like three or four. And the GM can think that very easily and quickly and go, oh yeah, okay, so it's a it's a seven plus you've got to get. Mm-hmm. And it gives you that nice breakdown of, is it a 7, an 8, a 9, or a 10, you know? The variety between them, yeah. Exactly. Which, that, that makes life so much easier when the GM can on the fly throw things out there. And, you know, because we all know, as GMs, that you, sometimes you have to come up with stuff completely on the fly. You really do. Um, and, and my Lost Legend group are, <laughs> are, are experts at that. Um, they, they, they really are fairly, fairly expert at that. They, uh, they blockade RAN. <laughs> um, a shipment today, and uh, and and literally they they came up with this idea that the the brawler guy would stand on the roof, right? So when they hit the cars that were being the blockade, he'd go flying off the roof and into someone okay. at sixty miles an hour. And you're sat there going, uh, "You realise you'll probably die." I don't care. It's cool. Okay then. <laughs> <laughs> the rule of cool wins all. It does actually, and and for me that's very much the case at my table. You know, if if someone comes up with a cool idea that's you know very cinematic, very visual, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll give them every opportunity to survive it. And and he had the opportunity up front to sort of analyze the situation and make sure he pushed off in the right way, make sure he landed on something soft. Well, someone soft to be more specific. Um, <laughs> you know, and all of these kinds of things that that kind of in action movie physics mean that he could survive it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I'm a huge fan of that. Like in D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition, one of our players, a monk, jumped down an 800-foot window, tried to grab the flying bad guy, missed, was falling to her doom, and she was freaking out going, I lost my character. I'm like, no, think about it. You're a monk. It's Dungeons & Dragons. You have your, your fighting ladle, which is her weapon, her ladle of doom. You have a backpack full of equipment. What equipment do you have on you? And then we started looking at her character sheet. And I'm like, now think about it. You know, you have rope. You have a ladle. 
you have 800 feet of time to fall and figure out what you're going to do. And, and you're a monk, she, so you're, you're kind of, you think quickly anyway. You react Exactly. Quickly. You have that so, yeah. Jackie Chan moment of, what am I going to do? And she ended up tying her rope to her ladle on her way down through the ladle as a grappling hook. Yep. And then did this cool ninja style run down this, this spike coming out of the ground with her ladle slowing her down. And she rolled a natural 20. Hmm. So the dice even wanted her to survive. But it's one of those of, you know, it lets players think outside the box, which, yeah, which and, is great. Yeah, and that's that's what we were saying a few minutes ago. It's always nice to see the players thinking outside the box. It, it, it It's one of the things that makes the GM feel like the game's a success. When people go, yeah, I'm going to do this thing, and you had no idea I was thinking about this. <laughs> I love when players do that. Uh, that that's, that's all I have to say as a GM, is is that's that's those beautiful moments when you walk out of the game store or wherever you're playing, and you say, no shit, there we were, and this happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, there, there are a few stories that I've got from from some weird, weird games um, one that springs to mind uh, in in one of my era, uh, it's called High Fantasy at the moment. We are going to name it something better. I just haven't got around to naming it yet. Names are hard. Like names like, are very hard. Names are really really difficult. I struggle with this in GMing as well because uh, I can never come up with names for NPCs. Like I have an entire personality for them. I have a background. No time flat. Names. You, Not so much. You gotta make sure the name matches the the, the description, but exactly. you don't want to be too on the on the nose with yeah. it because then all of a sudden they'll immediately jump to conclusions. But and... this uh, this this locust kin, uh, which is one of the uh, one of the races in uh, in in era high fantasy, um, he was very enthusiastic. It was his first time being an adventurer, and he was very very enthusiastic. And um, he he sort of came to a well, deep deep well, and he wanted to look down it. So he turned to the orc. Uh, who, who was, you know, who was with him. Orcs are not necessarily bad in, in, in era high fantasy. You know, it's not quite as clear cut as it often is in D and D. Oh no, it's an orc. We better kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this orc was, was on their side. And, um, uh, <laughs> uh, he said to the orc, Oh, I, I want to look down the well. I want to look down the well. So the orc grabbed him by the ankles and dangled him. <laughs> and then, and then he went. Oh, it's too dark down here. What am I going to do? He was an elemental mage, so he cast a, a fireball downwards, so he could see what was at the bottom of the well. <laughs> and then, and then, like he went. Oh, that was cool. That was great. I mean, this well's empty, but can we go to the next one? And uh, and the orc kind of half dragged him out of the well, smacked his head on the side until his head passed through the side of the well, you know, near the top, but you know, so sort of the the above ground bit. Uh, sort of smacked his head until it went through. He's like, oh, I'm a bit dazed. Walked over and then dangled him in the next well. Because it worked before, right? <laughs> well, he enjoyed it. Um, um, you know, the, the, the character was, was going, yeah, 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 that's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's the last thing I expected the characters to do. I also remember and, a time that, that a particular individual decided to look at Searing Light because he was curious what it looked like. Oh, that, that's a bad plan. It was a bad. It was a bad plan. He was blinded for a while, stumbled around, and actually, ironically, fell down a well. It was a different well, and in a different situation. But yeah, no. Um, it, well he, he just well. got curious. He got curious what blinding, what what searing light looks like. Because you never know. There could have been like an angel in the middle of it, or yeah. something. Who knew? Uh, I mean, until, no, until you look, you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. There's a reason during the eclipse they tell people. Don't look at the sun. <laughs> if they have to tell you not to do it, somebody's done it. Of course they have. <laughs> of course they have. So, Ed, thank you for bringing Shades of Vengeance and Air of the Chosen on the podcast and so we can share it with everybody. And definitely, folks, keep an eye on the Kickstarter as well as checking out the other games that they've got there because I'm really wanting to know now what the connection between survival and you know the Chosen is going to be. You've you've got me with that with that fish hook. Excellent. Um, I uh, I'm a universe builder in essence, and um, I I love to kind of make all of these universes work together in in sort of a a sane and explainable way. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say thank you very much, Jim, for for having me along. Um, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Um, if if any listeners are interested, um, I'm hoping you'll be able to put a few links in your show notes. 
Um, and, and I'll give you a few links to things. Uh, there's a, if you're interested in Era of the Chosen, there's obviously the Kickstarter. There's also a unique Facebook group for Era of the Chosen. Um, uh, many of our games are available on DriveThruRPG. Um, so if you're a fan of, of, of DriveThruRPG, you can go and get our games from there. Uh, you can also get our games uh, from our store. You can't get the hardbacks from DriveThruRPG or, or the paperbacks, the physical versions, from DriveThruRPG because uh, I, I don't use them for printing. I, I actually do printing separately. So you can only get the physical stuff through our store. Yeah, the, the digital stuff you can get off DriveThruRPG. So do go ahead and check those those places out if you're interested. And if you're interested in talking to us, I mean, reach out to us. Talk to us on Facebook, on Twitter. You know, talk to us on Kickstarter. We're, we're around, and I'm around in particular. You know, I... Uh, I answer uh, I answer the vast majority of the questions that get asked. So yeah, post. Tell us what you think. Ask any questions. We're we're here to help. We're here to talk about stuff. And as you may have noticed from from this particular podcast, I, I love to talk. I love to talk about our games. I love to talk about universes. Um, I love to talk about being creative. So again, Jim, thank you very much for having us. Oh, Ed, you're very welcome, and you're always welcome back anytime. And uh, keep making the fantastic books. That's all I'm going to say. Definitely get the hardbound version of these books because the artwork in Survival is amazing. And PDFs are nice, but if you can get the dead tree, get the dead tree. (laughs) Alright guys, thank you for listening. On the battlefield, I'm a warrior ready to kill or be killed. I've defeated orcs from the north, sent Kandorian demon spawns back to the depths, and drank with Sumerian heroes. But when I get back from a hard day of disemboweling my enemies... I enjoy nothing more than to open my castle doors and find a dungeon crate as my reward for blood well spilled. Designed for role players and tabletop gamers, Dungeon Crate is a monthly subscription box service with a treasure hoard of loot you can use on or off the battlefield. Miniatures, dice, tokens, coins, maps, modules, terrain pieces, handcrafted items, RPG jewelry, and more are yours for only a few gold per month. You even get a digital crate along with a physical one as an added bonus. So what say you? Are you ready for postal glory? Oh boy. DungeonCrate.com. Let the adventure begin. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D, Journey of the Fifth Edition, and Scion, Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. Uh, Presumably you would like me to say something so you can get your volume set properly. Benedict Cumberbatch saw an overloaded luggage rack. (laughs) <laughs> That's a great quote. I, I'll have to quote you on that. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm quoting Benedict Cumberbatch because uh, uh, he does actually he does actually sometimes use that to warm up. Um, <laughs> as indeed does my does my uh, my my voice actor pal Leo, um, who works with me on a lot of the audio stuff. Um, it's just it's got a good array of, of vowels and consonants in it, you know that that get you get you going, you know. Definitely, it hits the B's, the P's, and the T's, you know. Exactly. Hey, that's why we play games to have fun. Mm. Absolutely, and if you're not having fun, then then what's the point? But uh, you know, I, and then finding the theme for the game is something really, really important to me. So.